I'm going to try and get through chapter 40. Um, I actually thought of doing 40 and 41 because they're similar and all, but um, it kind of carries over. But I think I maybe even tied into more than I can chew here tonight. Hopefully we can get it all in and the Lord will do what he wants with it. Um, it's his word. It's good. It gives life and it's alive. Joseph with the butler and the baker. Genesis chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so that they were in custody for a while. And then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody of his lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad? And they said to him, We each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And so Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me, please. And then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was though it budded, and blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed them in Pharaoh's hand, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. Three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention to me of Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and I also have done nothing here that they should have put me in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also, in my dream, um, was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head, in the uppermost basket were all the kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Well, now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Well, the butler was a cup bearer, as you can kind of guess from this and all, but same as Nehemiah. We'll spend a little time in Nehemiah. Uh, while we're talking, you can maybe go to chapter 1 of Nehemiah. But And a baker, well, he was the chief baker, more like the head chef, 
really, um, kind of in charge of everything that came to the table. Um, but the word offended means that they fell short, really. It was incomplete, or they were negligent. And then he was, the Pharaoh was angry, wroth, full of wrath, and furious, um, was what that word angry means. Um, captain of the guard, verse 7, his Lord's house, it says, and we're just talking about verses 1 through 4 here, but in verse uh, 7, it, it's his Lord's house, it says. Well, that's Potiphar. So these guys, you know, remember Potiphar was the captain of the guard. Potiphar was the one who could execute if it came down to that. And he was the, in charge of all the, the, the guard and all. And so at his house is where he sent Joseph. And now also um, Joseph had been put in charge. Again, given more responsibility. Potiphar had put him in prison. But, you know, we studied a little bit about that. Potiphar didn't know what to believe necessarily about what his wife had said to him. And so he put him in prison indeed. But he gave him responsibilities and, and he was not executed. And... Um, so he had already given him another uh, position of responsibility. But Joseph sees something in their faces. And like Nehemiah, when his face was sad before the king Xerxes, Nehemiah had gotten a bad report um, and, uh, on the condition of Jerusalem. And when his face was sad before the king, he, he, uh, you know, he had heard that Jerusalem was to the point of really of being in ruins, and he wept, and he mourned, and he prayed. He prayed a prayer, a prayer of repentance in chapter 1 in Nehemiah, and, um, you know, that God would forgive and give him favor, specifically that he could go to his king and ask that he might, you know, be able to help him. And so in, in verse 11, just the last part of it, and then up to chapter 2, verse 4, he, he prayed, O Lord, I pray, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of the king of Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king, now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? And this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city and the place of my father's tombs lie waste and its gates are burned with fire? And then the king said to me, What do you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven, and he goes on to tell him, if it pleases, send me back to Jerusalem so I can survey and see what's going on. Right while he's talking to the king, praying in his heart to the Lord, and uh, you're able to do that. You know, it's not any big deal to pray right to the Lord right while you're in the middle of a conversation with anybody, asking him for guidance and leading and all. And God sees your heart. He hears the thoughts and words of your heart, and there's no way or no reason that... Uh, that you shouldn't be able to uh, seek the Lord right in the middle of anything that's going on. And he asks to go and survey Jerusalem that he might rebuild it. Now, why this matters is because I'm talking about a cupbearer and the baker. They were responsible for the food and the drink and to see whether it was safe to eat. Now, a king uh, or anyone back then who had servants, they would you know, 
be keeping an eye on the health and well-being of these guys because they're tasting this food. They're making sure it's healthy. And if the cup bear falls over, well, the king's not going to drink that wine. And so they're, they're keen on what the health and well-being of these guys is. And Joseph sees these guys to see uh, their faces, that, they're, that they've, they're sad, and he wants to know why. But it was a special relationship. And, and also these were top officials. Here's Joseph was a top official in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a top official. And this, uh, this baker and, and uh, the cupbearer were the king's you know, guys. That was his chef and his, his, uh, his cupbearer servants in, in his house, in his presence, in his kitchens. He was eating their food. And so it was a special relationship. And whatever they had done to displease Pharaoh make him angry, make him furious, uh, to the point where they were thrown in prison, it must have been something. Um, possibly just uh, may come up with a bad recipe, I don't know. But in verses uh, 5, back in Genesis through 8, each one had a dream. Um, Joseph said something that, uh, that he already knew. Um, he says, do not interpretations belong to God. A couple of chapters ago, Joseph had those dreams, remember? He dreamt about his brothers uh, bowing down to him and, and uh, dreamt and told his dream to Jacob. And Jacob says, am I and my mother and your brothers all going to bow down to you? Watch your step, Joseph. And Jacob had had the dream when he was at Bethel. And he saw the ladder going and the angels ascending. And at the, at the top, the Lord and his glory and that appeared to him in a dream. There are times when the Lord gives you a dream. There are times when um, that God puts this in your dreams. Um, but see what he says. Uh, and, uh, nevertheless, he declares that dreams belong to God. And God, uh, Joseph knows that God will use dreams to speak to people. Um, just a little sidebar on dreams. The first mention of a dream in the Bible is for Abimelech, the Philistine. Remember when God warned him in a dream to don't lay a hand on Sarah? He said, you're a dead man because Sarah's in your house. Get her back to Abraham. That was in Genesis 20. Prior to that, though, Abraham, remember, he fell into a deep, deep sleep. And it was in that deep sleep uh, that God made his covenant with Abraham. So this is something more than just being passed out and it's going on without your knowledge. This is something when you wake up or when the Lord brings you out of that dream or out of that state of sleep, there's a covenant that's been made. It's serious and God holds them to it. It's not something that's just a uh, casual, you know, I had pizza last night and I had dreams about, you know, pink cauliflower or something. I don't know, but whatever you put on your pizza, I don't know. But uh, there, there's all manner of, of dreams that we have, and they can be bizarre, they can be nightmares, they can, they can trouble us, and they can, and like Job says many times, they flee away. We all have dreams. Um, while Abraham was in that deep sleep, though, God made a covenant with him back in Genesis 26. Um, when God promised Jacob that he would bless him and his descendants, he appeared to him in a dream. But he said then also that he'd provide for him, protect him. And, you know, he had to go on that. He knew that the Lord had told him that. This wasn't just some mystery, some dream that they had to go figure out. 
it was something that God had spoken to him, and it says he spoke to him in a dream. And he was ready to leave Laban. God told him in a dream to go back and to his family, back to Isaac and, and southern part of Canaan. Back when Joseph was only 17 years old, he was in Jacob's, uh, he told Jacob his dream about the 11 stars and the sun and the moon. And notice it says Jacob kept that matter. Remember he talks about that? Jacob kept that matter. He, he wanted to hold on to what uh, was being said there because he knew there was something to it. And there was something, uh, some substance to that dream that Joseph is talking about him and his mother and brothers bowing down to him. Uh, most of the time, we forget our dreams. And we wake up, and like Job says, dreams, they fly away and are forgotten. So how do we know when a dream is of the Lord or is from the Lord when it's the Lord and not just a dream? Well, first of all, God did not appear to these men every single night with instructions for each day. It was when God chose to speak to them in a dream. And uh, if you want to turn to Numbers 12... Once or twice, maybe in their entire lives, do we read. Maybe three times we'll, we'll read in these guys' lives, God spoke to them in a dream. Well, that's just how many times do you sleep, how many nights, you know, and how many dreams do you have. So clearly it's not every single time. And so we need, you know, how do we know? And so we're just going to do a few verses through and see just what the Lord would say and how we're supposed to know. So Numbers 12, 1 through 10, a story about Miriam and Aaron, brother and sister to Moses. And they had, uh, you know, been traveling through the desert at this time, but they were frustrated. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because the Ethiopian woman that he had married, and they didn't like that, so he had married an Ethiopian woman. And so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came, and the Lord came down on a pillar and a cloud and stood at the door of the tabernacle, called Aaron and Miriam to him, and they both went forward. And he said, Hear now my words. If there was a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. And so he's using an example of the dreams for the prophets. But Moses, he sees him face to face. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Well, they had pleaded to the Lord, and the Lord healed her. Um, but God would speak to prophets in dreams, he says. Um, but notice how serious it is. Whether it's to the prophets, the Lord's the one that's doing the speaking. And whether it's to Moses face to face, the Lord's the one that's doing the speaking. And they're held accountable for what's said in a dream. Deuteronomy 12, a few pages to the right. Well, maybe a, a mitful. Deuteronomy 12, 29. 
And we'll read up to 13, verse 5. A prophet would have to be 100% accurate if he failed once. Well, that's not the Lord. And they would stone him to death. That was the rule. You know, if the prophet becomes a liar, starts speaking on his own behalf, or starts uh, prophesying by some other force, you know, possibly demonic, you know, that's not the Lord. So in 29, when the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourselves that you're not to ensnare uh, to follow them. After they are destroyed from before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, well, how do these nations serve their gods? I will do likewise. You shall not worship the, or you shall not worship the Lord God in that way, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. Do not add to it nor take away from it. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and a sign or a wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet. I mean, the thing came to pass. He, you know, so this is demonic. He gives them a prophecy and a sign or a wonder, and it actually comes to pass. Um, and to say, let's go serve other gods. He says, you shall, listen, uh, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him, hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you away from, uh, from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil, evil from your midst. You know, it does not fit the word of God, then it's false. And it incurs dead, death, the death penalty. God spoke to the judges like this. Gideon, uh, uh, he heard the dream of a prophet, and Gideon responded. Samuel, God spoke to Samuel, Solomon, and the prophets, but it would never contradict his word. You know, that, that's the rule, what he's saying right here. And, and the, the example for us is obvious. You know, take, for example, Joseph Smith. He falls or goes to sleep and, and has a dream and dreams up this whole religion that's got how many people deceived these days and finds a piece of glass, you know, some glasses and spectacles and puts them on. And, and here we have how many, how many souls are hell-bound because their zeal for God is so great that they'll go from door to door and knock on your house, knock on your door and, and want to share and want to convert as many as they can. And that zeal is incredible. And yet it's a zeal that's following after a false prophet who had a dream, saw a vision, and that's what has drawn so many people away, millions and millions of Mormons that are deceived. And then you got people in the church that are saying, well, Mormons believe in Jesus Christ. And that's a whole other story. But no, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. And so if it doesn't fit the word of God, then it's false. You know, these days 
Well, what did Jesus say? He says, you know, you cannot add anything to the scriptures. If you add, then you're going to have plagues that are in the scriptures added to you. If you take away, then you'll have things taken away from you. And that is because what we have here is complete. If somebody has a dream or a vision or something like that, and they may these days, it's going to be for them that they've been guided into something that maybe they should be doing or a decision they're trying to make about something. But it's not ever going to change the Word of God, and it's never going to ask you to do something that's not in the Word of God. That's not the way it goes. That would not be a dream from God. Jeremiah 23 um, takes it a little further. If you want to turn there. We're on the topic of dreams. And... You know, I don't want to hear from you tomorrow morning if you had a crazy dream because of this Bible study. (laughs) I'm sure I'll have my own. Um, But um, Jeremiah 23, verse 9, and then we'll skip to verse 15 through 32. In verse 9, see, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet of the Lord, but it, during his time, Israel had all, and Judah had all kinds of prophets saying all kinds of garbage, prophesying that judgment was not going to come, and prophesying, no, don't worry, settle back, you know, the Lord's not going to kick us out. And they were getting primed and ready to be taken into captivity. In fact, there was a certain point at which he told them, do not pray to save yourselves in this land and to keep this land. Don't even pray for that, because you're going into captivity. And, um, but verse 9 says, My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake, and I'm like a drunken man, like a man whom wine has overcome. Why? Because of the Lord and because of his holy words. In other words, these guys, all these prophets, are, are completely distorting, compromising God's holy word. In verse 15, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood or bitterness. I will make them drink the water of gall. And from the prophets of Jerusalem, or I said, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out into all the land. And thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. In other words, do whatever you want, to each his own. That's the law of the day. I mean, there's, there, there's even places they call lawless because everybody's a law unto themselves and they, they want to be known as lawless. For those, for who stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word, Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind, and it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not return back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. I am a God near at hand, says the Lord. I am not a God far off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? 
And I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, and I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? And did, indeed, they are prophets of deceit in their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. And the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. He who has my word, let him speak the word faithfully. And what is chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. There's your comparison. Chaff is empty, worthless, tasteless, and has absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever. But the wheat has everything you need, nutrition. It's not my, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, is not, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies, by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not prophesy. They shall not profit this people at all. They're, they're worthless and make the people worthless, says the Lord. Watch out for those who have any kind of message from God that doesn't line up with the word of God, and they're out there. There are many who walked with the Lord and have fallen away, have followed after some strange teaching or some charismatic speaker or some get-rich-quick or, or do this and you'll have everything you need and there's all kinds of promises. There's all kinds of prophets out there that are they're, they're attractive to us, to our flesh, and to the things that we think we need. But they're not from the Lord. If they're not sticking to his word, they will take some obscure passage many times and try to give it some grand secret meaning to sway you. If they do, then walk away. God will judge them righteously, you know. If you love them, you might want to warn them, but they're not the kind of people that generally take correction. They're there to deceive. They're there. They heard from the Lord. You're not going to be able, be able to tell them anything. I mean, I remember talking to people that came here one time, and they heard from the Lord. They, they think that the church is everywhere, and there's no authority in the church as far as a pastor, or as far as a fellowship, or any accountability, and so they can just say whatever they want, and the Lord's given them this vision, and so they can come up to you and say, no, no, this is what God showed me, this is what he's given me, and this is what I'm doing, and you need to do that too. That's not the case. Everybody has different gifts, and we'll get into that differently or uh, later uh, about that. Um, so if you love them, you might want to warn them, but like I said, this type usually won't receive correction. Instead, warn those that they're trying to deceive and expose them. You know, let those that you love and that you know that these people are listening to or that are listening to these types of people, let them know that's it's false. They're leading you down a path. And it's not popular because there are a lot of ministries out there that are that get too close to the edge and then sooner or later they start crossing over the edge of who is Jesus. I mean, even I remember when I got saved, I'm really getting sidetracked, but I remember getting saved and big guy back then was Ken Copeland and Ken Hagen and all that and the word of faith and I'm thinking you know I need faith and I need to be healed and I need to to make sure I've got everything provided for me and we didn't go to any word of life church or anything like that but you're just listening and it it makes you wonder you know 
because every time he says Jesus is Lord, and only you can only say that if by the Holy Spirit, right? Well, not if you're a deceiver. You can say it just fine, spitting it out of your mouth, but it's got nothing to do with the sincerity of your heart or the fact that the Lord is not in that. Because what does he say? He said the Lord he basically boils down to Gnosticism, Ken Copeland, and the whole word of faith thing. And that's a whole other Bible study. Um, instead, warn those that you love that they don't get deceived by these people. Keep to God's word. Now Daniel, like Joseph, could also interpret dreams. And the seriousness of it is apparent to Nebuchadnezzar. If you want to turn to Daniel 2, um, Nebuchadnezzar was knew enough to be sure that it was genuine. And so, uh, boy, I was going to read the whole chapter. Starting in verse 4, the Chaldeans spoke to King in Aramaic after he had this dream and wanted an interpretation. It says, you know, O King, live forever. Tell us the dream, and we'll give the interpretation. And he says, well, you know, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, in other words, if you can interpret it, Tell me what the dream was in the first place. I'm going to hold that back from you to see if you really are genuine. And however, if you tell a dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me rewards, gifts, great honor, in verse 6. Therefore, tell the dream and its interpretation. And they said again, Lord, uh, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll give it its interpretation. He said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream also to me, there is only one decree for you. And this is death penalty. These, you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king, There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Well, you know, there you go. You never sought the Lord on it. But there was Daniel. It's a difficult thing that the king requests. And there's no one who can tell or the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry, furious, gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The, de the decree goes out, and they're out going and and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them because they were among the wise men, among the, the, um, the ones of uh, Babylon. And verse 14, when the counsel and wisdom Daniel, and then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok, the captain that was going around to take them all out. Who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon? He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Ariok uh, made the decision known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. And then Daniel went to his house. He made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever. The wisdom and the might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light that dwells with him. 
I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what, you, what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demands. So he seeks the Lord, and the Lord hears him, and the Lord gets the glory. Daniel, just like Joseph, it's God who can interpret dreams. Now in, ja- in Acts verses two, or chapter 2, and I'm just going to kind of read through it, he, they're quoting Joel, because it's true for our time, and yet it doesn't add to the word of God. Nevertheless, um, quoting Joel in chapter 2, 14 through 22, he says, But Peter, standing up in the, uh, with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So the, the disciples had gone out and the Holy Spirit came on them and they were speaking to the, the crowd in their own languages. So they thought they were drunk. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel and it came to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall, shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my uh, Men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven, signs in the earth, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. And so he went on to describe um, up to verse 22, you know, hear these words uh, of Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. They're pointing to Jesus. You know, if somebody's going to have a dream, again, the rule is real simple. That might be for you personally. But if you're going to take something that uh, was impressed on you in a dream or something like that, you're going to go lay something on somebody else. You know, we already have the Word of God. We already have everything we need. It's 100% complete here for all that we need to know the Lord. And unless it has something to do with some type of a warning. And through the New Testament, there were still prophets. It's still a gift, and it's still a gift for today, but it's never going to add to the Word of God. It might just mean that there's something that uh, needs to be uh, directed in a certain way for somebody. There was a prophet that tied a belt around Paul before he was sent back to Jerusalem and says, this is what's going to happen to you when you get back to Jerusalem. They're going to tie you up and throw you in prison. He was a prophet in the New Testament. Um, And so I guess you're gathering from this. We are not cessationists around here, which believes that many of the gifts of the Holy Spirit ended at the end of the, the, the first century church. And uh, it's just not what the Bible teaches. I mean, where do you draw the line? What gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who you and I depend on to give us gifts and to give us uh, the ability to do the things that we do for him, where do you draw the line? Which one of those gifts were, came to an end? Why would they cease? And so uh, however they're used and however the Lord directs, all I know is the rule is real simple. He never adds to or takes away from what the Word of God says plainly to us anyway. So Jude 4 through um, 16, um, there are those among the church. Um, in verse 4, Jude, it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out. Now, meaning crept in, what does that mean? They're creeped in here. They're, they're crept in the church the, the body of believers, um, whether or not it's here in our little fellowship or if it just is, and obviously we know it's in the church with all the false teachers that are out there. 
But look at how he describes these guys. They've crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. First of all, they're ungodly. They turn grace into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus. So, you know, what Paul wrote in Romans, now that there's grace and it abounds to us and it matches the worst that we could have ever been, should we just go ahead and sin freely and and do whatever we want because there's plenty of grace? Well, no. God died, or Jesus died for our sins so that God forgives us so that we can walk in righteousness, so that we can walk in love and no longer walk in our sins and um, just follow after that. And they're talking about giving over to lewdness and they deny the only Lord that way. But I want to remind you through, um, though, uh, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. Um, you know, He has reserved an everlasting uh, chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these have, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as examples, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire, Likewise, also these, what? These dreamers. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. In other words, they'll say anything about anything and it doesn't bother them one bit. They're, having, they're dreamers and they can just spit it out because everybody's saying, oh, we had a dream and we got we to gotta hear this dream and, and whatever he says gets to the point where the dream has more authority than the word of God is what he's saying. They speak evil of dignitaries. Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you, not taking it upon themselves like these guys. But these speak evil of what they do not know, whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. So it's just, it's just the most base and common thing, and that's how they just, just let themselves go right into it. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and read greedily into the air of Balaam for profit and um, perish in the rebellion of Korah. Spots on your love's feast, they're with you. They're, they're among the church. Um, they feast without fear, serving only themselves. They're clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up in their own shame, wandering stars for whom it is reserved, the blackness um, uh, blackness of darkness forever. And now Enoch, seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him, against the Lord. These are grumblers, these are complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words. I had a dream. My dream was big. And let me tell you all about it. You've got to hear my dream. You know, swelling words, flattering people to gain... Exa- you were in my dream, and you were driving a Cadillac. <laughs> you know? So great swelling words. They deny Jesus and his authority, and with all of this big stuff. Back to Genesis... Verses 9 through 13, three branches means three days. 
Oh, I'm not going to get through everything. That was his job, to bring the king's cup. His dream included having the cup, having the grapes, and putting the cup in to the hand of Pharaoh. And, you know, he was restored to his former occupation. And so Joseph tells him, well, you will be. You'll be uh, restored to Pharaoh. He'll lift up you in three days. But he says in verse 14 and 15, just remember me. Now, the baker, his food never made it to Pharaoh to eat in his dream. It was just in one of three baskets on his head, and the birds ate it out. And then the fulfillment of that dream was, indeed, he was going to have his head taken off, and he would, the birds would then be actually eating his flesh. And again, whatever they were thrown into prison for, it seems likely from the ending here that Pharaoh blamed the baker for it. It seems like the butler was you know, exonerated or found out that it wasn't his fault. So whatever uh, recipe of some gastronomical experiment that the uh, baker was trying on the pharaoh, it didn't please him at all and went wrong. And, um, and you know, if you want to take it to the nth degree, it was probably something only a bird would want to eat because the birds were eating it out of his head. But in verse 20 through 23, Pharaoh had his birthday party. And Pharaoh had the authority at this time to execute and to give life and to put somebody back and restore them even his officers, even in his own court. And so his party, uh, he chooses his birthday party to show this kind of authority, raises up the uh, cupbearer, and there he is back in service and in front of everybody as a warning, as a way to keep his subjects in fear. He hangs his baker in front of everybody. Now in Psalm 105, God has the ultimate authority. In verses 1 through 20, you know, kings have authority. And you've heard the phrase, uh, rex is lex. And that means rex being the king, lex being the lexicon. That means the king is law. Well, we live in a constitutional republic, which means lex is rex. The law, our constitution, is king is the final authority. But in the kingdom and in this earth, in your lives and in my lives, there are things that supersede the laws of man. And there are many laws being passed right now and a lot of corruptions happening in our lives. And it's important to us to know that when we're asked to do something that contradicts or goes against God's law, that, you know, who are we going to serve? When the disciples came before the Pharisees or the council and the in the Sanhedrin, and he says, you will no longer speak in the name of Jesus. You'll never tell anybody about Jesus. And they said, well, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to obey God, or are we supposed to obey you? We're going to continue to do what we're going to do. And they got thrown in prison. But Psalm 105, verses uh, just 1 through 20, we'll give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing songs, psalms to him, Talk of all his wondrous works and glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord and seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. 
the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, his oath with Isaac, to Isaac, and confirmed to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. All these things we're studying right now. Saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When they were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in the land, right now, Jacob and Joseph, when they went from one nation to another, right now, going Joseph down to Egypt, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, do, do my prophets no harm. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land, and that's where we're going to get to in the chapters ahead. He destroyed all the provision of bread, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him, and the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free and made him lord of his house. And that's chapter 41 next week if the Lord tarries. Parallels between Joseph and Jesus in um, chapter 40. You had those uh, handouts and there's more back there if you didn't grab them. Joseph was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, the butler and the baker. He was in jail with them. He was in prison. He was a transgressor numbered with them. This was prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah 53.12, and indeed he was crucified between two thieves. The next one, Joseph could tell um, one of his prison mates that he would be free and the other would perish. Well, Jesus was able to tell one of the thieves who believed in him that he would be with him in paradise that day. And the other did not believe, and he perished in his sin and entered into a Christless eternity. Joseph glorified God as the one who alone could interpret dreams. Well, Jesus glorified his heavenly Father, who alone was good, and whose word Jesus would speak. He wouldn't say anything except what the Father had given him. And Joseph asked to be remembered by the cupbearer that he might be released because he had done nothing to be put in jail. Well, Jesus was sinless and sacrificed himself for our sins, shed his blood, that we would be guiltless, he also told us to remember him by remembering his blood and his, his body and his blood when we eat and drink together, you know, which we now do intentionally with communion each month, but you can remember his body and blood anytime you gather in his name and, and for fellowship and for a meal and all, eating together and just remembering his body and his blood, that cup, that bread. That's what he asked us to do. Remember him. Um, what are we supposed to be remembering? Let's go to Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21 and just two verses 22 and 23. There was a law because, um, you know, it was, a, it was a cursed thing. Some of these things in the ways that they were put to death. It says, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on that tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Why? For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. You know, what happened to the baker? The baker was hanged on a tree. 
at the birthday party. What do you and I deserve? If you want to, I can just read them. Uh, without, you don't have to turn. I'm just going to read one verse in Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And in 1 Peter 2.24, it says, He or who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, and now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You know, he was cursed for us. We should have been cursed. We should have been hung on that tree. He died in our place. His stripes upon him should have been upon us. And what that did was it healed us. He took it for us, and, he, and it healed us. The butler is saved and restored. The baker is slain and hung on a tree. The one thief on the cross believes and is in paradise with Jesus. The other is cursed under righteous judgment because of his sin. Just like you and I should be under righteous judgment for our sin. But that sin was put on Jesus. And that's the thing we remember, you know, that... Uh, he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, the other thief on the cross. And his sins remained. He died in his sins. Psalm 32, 1 and 2, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Because we're all criminals. We're all deserving of death because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But there is that complete righteousness and holiness in Jesus Christ for those who turn from their sin and believe in his death on the cross in our stead, and those who rose from the dead, and as he rose from the dead, we'll also rise with him in eternal life. Now, I was going to spend some time talking about prison, and we're at our time, pretty much. But in this life, there are many prisons. Some, are, some people are hardened by their prison sentence. They just get all the more wicked, evil, bitter. And others are broken by it. Others are purified by it. And they know it has consequences. It was the consequences of their crime. And so they turn from that evil. They repent. And, um, you know, that, that we talked about that law in our country. It's the final authority in the courts of men. But that law began with God, with his authority over his creation. Almost all the prophets of God who prophesied against the sons of Israel or the sins of Israel were imprisoned, and some were tortured, and some were killed. Jesus points that out to the Pharisees in chapter Matthew 23. And, and then in Acts 7, Stephen points that out to the, the Jews that were going to stone him to death because it's not something people want to hear. People don't want to know that, um, you know, they were responsible for burying the truth about their own sins. And if they don't want to repent, and if they don't want to turn, if they want to be hardened by it, and harder and harder they get, the more they're going to want to murder, they're going to want to silence you. But those, even though we continue to share the gospel and share the word of God, there are those who have soft hearts. There's those that the soil in their hearts is 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 been turned over. It's soft, and, and the word can take root, and it can bear fruit. There are many today that get saved in prison 
and you know maybe they're own reading the Bible or the testimony or witness of uh, Christian um, cellmates or or other people that are also incarcerated with them, or because of believers who uh, take it upon themselves to go and visit. In Matthew 25, maybe we should turn to that one for our last one tonight, uh, verses uh, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a, sheep, or as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. And the righteous will answer, saying, When did we see you hungry, feed you and thirsty, and, give, and that we had given you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger uh, to take you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king answered and said, said to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. And he will go also uh, say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then those will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer, saying, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, first of all, your acceptance into his kingdom is found by trusting in his finished work on the cross. This is not a list of religious acts that you need to check off so you get to heaven. That's a whole different branch of Christianity that's really not true Christianity. And I'm sure you're all familiar. But Matthew 25 in a whole, uh, the, the whole chapter, is just what's true about the kingdom of God, like it is right here, right now. Um, verse 1 through 13, the wise virgins with their oil, and their lamps, which is, uh, represents the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they know the Lord. They've already come to him for salvation. They've already been born again. They've already been given the Holy Spirit. That cannot be taken away. The five wise, wise virgins, virgins. In verse uh, 14 through 30, the, the good and faithful servants who use their talents for the kingdom instead of cowering in fear. And then these verses we read, true Christianity is walking in love. Love for your brothers and sisters in the faith and love for those in need. Like he said, if you see your neighbor in need and do nothing, how can the love of God be in you, right? And so prison ministry is a calling. And just like any calling of God, he's going to provide. He's going to prepare you. He's going to make, equip you. And he's going to go before you. Uh, all any of us can do, really, is to be available, Right? And ask the Lord to lead us in whatever he has prepared each of us to do. We are all different parts of the body of Christ. 
There's, you know, doing different ministries and, and service to one another and to the lost world in his name. There's no comparing one each to the other about what we're doing. All eyes on him. He's the one that we look to for what we're supposed to be doing. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. There's no fear because perfect love casts out fear. You know, it's, it's those who are forgiven much who love much. The, the guys or gals who may have been in jail, may have been in that place, you know, they, they know what it's like. They know what these guys are going through. And God has clearly equipped them and all. Not all can, not all will, not all would want to. You know, um, and they're the ones, though, that, that have that hope that they can bring because they know what kind of hopelessness it was when they were there. But that's not all. There's those that are just believers. Probably never saw a cop get pulled over or anything, you know, and they, they still, they just have the calling of God on their life. And uh, he's given them the desire and equipped them to go. And that calling on their life is obvious. And, you know, he makes it known to them. But Joseph was innocent. All he wanted to do was for the butler to remember him so that he would get out of this house, he says. He wants to be out of prison. And, um, you know, but who is it that brings things to remembrance? I know for me, I'm, I'm, my memory's lousy. And, and I, I have to trust the Lord to, to, you know, bring things to my remembrance. Well, this butler didn't remember for full on two years. We'll find out next week if the Lord tarries. As with anything in our walk, we need to be patient. You know, he was 17 years old when he came, when he was thrown in the well and taken into captivity, and then he's hanging out in Potiphar's house, and then he's thrown into prison, and we'll see next week, he's, he's in his, going to be 30 years old before he can uh, come before Pharaoh, or right around then. And so, you know, 13 years waiting, you know, from having everything in Potiphar's house, losing it all, and now he's got nothing. He's in a dungeon uh, the part of the prison where not the servants would be, but uh, or the the officers would be, but the other part where it's not so comfortable. And so, as with anything in our walk, we need patience. Some may still have a long sentence behind bars to go. Some may be lifers, but you know Jesus is coming back for His church. He's coming back for us, and it may take patience for now, but He's going to be right on time when He comes. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Lord, that was a lot to get through. and uh, Just loving you for your word and the truths that are there. Thank you that you've given us uh, your word that we don't need to be tossed around by false teachers and dreamers and uh, those that would bring uh, something that's not of you and try and introduce it and try and take captive believers. And We thank you that we have your word and that we can just search these things out, find out if they're true, and uh, by looking into your word. And uh, so we lift that up to you. We pray you put a hedge about us and guard and keep us, for the, keep us from the things that uh, attempt to, to steal away the truth from our hearts. And uh, again, Lord, we just pray that your word would not return void. Everything that's of you would be remembered and go deep and bear fruit, and uh, that we could minister to this lost and dying world. And that... Uh, people be drawn to you. So we lift this all up in Jesus' name. Amen.